0: listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. If you would, go with me to Matthew chapter 9. Once again, uh, we return to the teaching uh, Um, with Christ in the School of Prayer, continuing on this conversation about, about what prayer is and what it's not, uh, really really recognizing that uh, there's probably no more discussed or used topic than prayer, but one that we're still a bit bewildered that with such prayer lives as we talk about, that we still seem to know very little. Excuse me one second. So this has been, for me at least, a good conversation about prayer. Some of the profound things that I expected to discover I haven't. Uh, but many of the, the more subtle things that that have been we focused on have been very helpful. Matthew chapter nine verse thirty seven. Uh, let me. I'm going to back up to thirty six. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. One of the things that we acknowledge in this world of prayer is that Jesus frequently taught his disciples about prayer, but rarely did he tell them what to pray. And in so many situations, not give give anything at all. The first thing I can tell you about this, why he would speak specifically, we have to recognize that Jesus is largely speaking in his humanity. Let's go back and read verse 36 for just a second. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them, so we begin to recognize that something was stirring in Jesus. He was, he was feeling this compassion. He saw them. He saw the need. He saw the situation. And he was moved by the man that he was, the, the person that he was. He had compassion on them, even in his humanity, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Now, to whom is he speaking this? To whom is he giving this direction? Notice, again, where it is here in, in, chapter, in chapter 9. He's talking to whom in particular? He's talking to his disciples. Now, when he goes away, who are they going to become? Listen to the last part of of, of 36 again, that they are scattered as sheep having no shepherd. Who's about to become the shepherd? These disciples are fixing to step into the role that he now has in his humanity as the shepherd of of, of this flock, he calls himself the shepherd, and the sheep know my voice. But he's speaking specifically of emotions that he's having in his humanity and he's expressing those emotions to these men who are going to become the shepherds of this same flock that he's moved with compassion about. So he says to these up-and-coming shepherds, I'm going to tell you specifically, as a leader, I'm going to tell you specifically, as a disciple, you're going to need to pray that there are going to be many laborers who come and help you as the shepherd. You see, here is one when he's telling them, because of the role that you're going to be in, because of the place that you're about to hold, I'm going to tell you specifically what you need to pray. But I, but, and so we begin there. Cry to the Lord for laborers. The prayer is, you know, it, it isn't selfish. The prayer isn't self-serving. He's saying, as shepherds, you're going to need it. It's the power through which blessings will flow. We have to know that prayer is power. It's not a connection that we often make. We often say it's the means to power, it's how we access power. Prayer is power. Put an equal sign between them. Think of prayer, equal sign, power. What would he want for those shepherds? What would he want them to have in leading this flock? He wants them to have, it's not selfish. He wants them to have power, he wants them to have a a means by which these things can occur. He's saying, my heart's broken, but I know something. I know I'm going, and I'm going to leave the role as shepherds here, and I want you to be equipped and ready just as I am. I do find it a little bit strange that he would ask his disciples again to pray for this. Because couldn't we conclude wouldn't it be reasonable to conclude that Jesus could have prayed it himself? Couldn't Jesus have prayed to the fathers as fathers send send the laborers? Why transfer the responsibility? Or we could even ask the question, he's saying pray so laborers will come. Couldn't we just safely assess that the Father would see the need for laborers and send them without the prayer? We, we draw these conclusions. We still do it. We, we have strangely reduced the need for prayer because our conclusion is, well, God already sees, God already knows, God already is working, God is already affecting change in there, so our, our prayers don't matter. We're still doing that. Our prayer life gets largely reduced because we feel like God is already fully engaged in the story and, 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 and that it's already taken care of. But we're, if we do, we're going to miss something here because this, stands, this story stands strangely against many of the things that we have concluded and, and actually do. Did God need prompting? No. So why? Why would Jesus tell them, pray for this? Let's see if we can get to the bottom of it. If we can can find it, it will lead us into what he wanted them to learn about the deep truth found within his kingdom and especially prayer inside his kingdom. So ultimately, where we, where we go first is that we must recognize, as I said, that, that prayer is power, and it seems that the harvest depends on it. Isn't Jesus strangely drawing a direct connection? If they don't pray, will the laborers come, according to this prayer anyway? No, or he wouldn't be asking. That's exactly right. The laborers coming, at least in this prayer, are completely dependent on the prayer. I wonder when we prayed last that God would send laborers into the harvest. When it, it sounds like what he's saying, that the harvest depends on the prayer. Well, we've reduced prayer almost in many situations to something of no effect. And Jesus is directly countering that saying, if you don't know that prayer is power, then you're very likely not to understand that it is by this powerful prayer, by this power, and, you're, and, and the prayers offered that the laborers will be sent. Again, this is why this is a bit of an anomaly to me, because in this moment, Jesus is saying, you don't pray for laborers, they won't come. And remember, keep it in context, whom is he, with whom is he speaking? It was when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion, that he called on them to pray for laborers. Where did the prayer begin? It began with what? It began with compassion. Again, if if he's going to say it, it's because he knew that prayer would make all the difference. What does it? What does that by itself tell us about the importance of prayer? Now, again, I don't think any of us would say that we don't believe that prayer is important. I don't believe any of us as believers sitting here, or as, as Christians sitting here, that we would be so bold as to say that prayer really doesn't have much of an effect. As a matter of fact, I think we would probably announce the opposite. But what do our lives say? What does our actual daily practice say about how we value prayer? I think that's, I think that's a different question. I can imagine not even imagine. I can know that there's, that there's a bit of a veil between the things of the earth and the things of heaven. Because Jesus says, or Paul says, through the Holy Spirit, that someday we will see clearly what right now we can only see through a mirror, darkly. So a day's coming when we can see more clearly But who already saw clearly? Who was not affected by the veil? Well, Jesus wasn't affected by the veil. So Jesus, what what was invisible to the disciples, what would be invisible to my mind and to my heart, was amazingly transparent to his. So for him to be, be telling them, about what the necessity of prayer in this situation, and this is what they should be praying for, it's because he could see across a veil that we we might not be able to see. Jesus knew that as the men of old, the work or the purposes of God was to be passed to these disciples. When we go back and we look at, at God trusting Abraham to lead, Isaac, Jacob to lead, Moses to lead, Joseph to lead. When we look back and recognize that God used these men to, to bring the progression of things forward, Jesus now knows across that trend that, 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 that's, that's transparent to him, he now knows that, again, that these men are going to carry these things forward. He knew this work that was about to fall on the shoulder's of these disciples would not be a matter of form and would not be a matter of show and he knew that the true success of all that came by their hands would be built on faith what's happening today we have to be so careful about this because where do prayers normally come they come at scheduled times in the service under form and structure. Are there anything wrong with those prayers? No, but that has often become our prayer life. And then he knew, he was trying to tell them that the work that's set before you will not be accomplished by form and by structure. It will become... It will be possible. The giant, that that work that is coming and is set before you. You're going to have to understand the means by which you access that faith, which is prayer. This conversation that we have with God. Faith comes by hearing. What does that? In, what does that? By its nature entail. Faith comes by hearing. Our hearing. Things that proceed from the mouth of God. What do we call that? That conversation that we're having when we listen and he speaks. And we speak and he listens. What do we call that? That's prayer that allows us to be obedient, to be in faith to the one who's established this. So we begin to get these connections with what he's really talking about. He's saying, if you're going to be that leader and, you, and this great work is going to be accomplished, it's being passed all the way from Abraham and, and down these generations of people, all the way through to John the Baptist, and then, to, and, and then to Jesus, to me. He's saying, if you're going to get that, you're going to have to know the place of that great work does not rest in form and structure, it rests in true power. And you access that power in prayer. Yeah, you can't, that, that's a dangerous assumption when you, when you assume. Because he, he's telling these guys, I'm walking with you. If anybody could have assumed they had all they needed, it would have been these guys. Direct access, direct teaching, promises made, things that they heard. If anybody would have believed, and he's saying you're going to need many laborers for the work that's coming and you access those laborers by prayer. Man, it's a, you know, in that transition, the transition that, that he's, he's beginning to show them, from him to them, this petition, before the Father would be critical, laborers for the harvest. He's saying, I, and, I, and I, 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 as I was studying this, I, I really it just was really really hitting my heart quite oddly about should we just stop in some Sunday morning service and commit that service to prayer that the laborers would come into the harvest because it is something that has just been, it's like he's saying it. Of all the times when he didn't say what to pray for, here he's saying pray for this. Because there's only a few of these in the, in the Gospels where he says, I want you to pray for this specifically. The other, the model prayer, our Father He says, that, that's another one. He says, pray specifically. Well, here's one of those specific things. Today, we know we're battling with some things. First of all, we battle with the fact that there's very little concern in the Christian church today about the harvest at all. We, we, we're, not, we're not being moved with compassion because, because there are so many out there who are without a shepherd and who are scattered and who faint. There's not much compassion within the Christian church. And unfortunately, even where we find the energy to go, It's often not based on compassion. It's based on a judgment that they need what I have. It won't come out as kindness and compassion. It will come out as I have something and you need it. And it will have this element of pride in it and boasting in it. That's one of the more unfortunate things that happens, even attached to the Holy Spirit, is that... We, we allow this element of pride, but what will the Holy Spirit by its very nature establish? Without question, the Holy Spirit will always establish humility. Always. Because it is required to recognize that the Holy Spirit is who he is for us to become humble in that thought, to let him become who he is, requires a humility in me that lays myself down daily that he might stand in my place. When pride comes with the connection with the Holy Spirit, which we see in the, in the world, a tremendous amount of pride connected to the Holy Spirit. Look at how he's using us. Look at at all he's doing. Look at all he's accomplishing. There's a great deal of pride connected to the work of the Holy Spirit. He will always create humility. But there's very little concern about the harvest. There's very little concern about the laborers. Just even in a group this size, I'm not going to ask you to do this out loud. How much personal concern is there for the laborers? And how much concern within the laborers is there then about the harvest? The third thing, if the labor supply depends on prayer, are we shocked that there are so few laborers? Why do we not cry out to the Lord of the harvest? It says do it. I mean, it says, But Jesus said unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are for few. But ye there, pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest. Pray, the Lord of the harvest, that the laborers would come. This isn't going to change much. Our prayer life is not going to change much here, even in the direct and specific way that Jesus is giving until it originates in the same place his did, which is in compassion. It won't change much until, until it originates in compassion. <clears throat> it won't change much until there's compassion for our neighbor, for the perishing are rarely now seen as our charge, our responsibility. We rarely connect the perishing with us. We've lost those voices. We've lost that clarion call. We've lost the trumpet blast of the Billy Graham voices. They call us in in tremendous ways to recognize that that harvest out there is connected, the perishing is our charge. If he was telling the disciples this then, would it be okay if we were to just entertain the thought that maybe he's saying the same thing to us today? That our, that our concern, it's now our charge to be connected to those who are perishing, I'm not saying that we we just start revival after revival but I do think because of the way he established the great commission as you go do this as I was up here mowing uh, on Friday I knew Saturday was going to be busy and I was up here mowing and uh, the Lord was talking and I was doing my best to listen and this is kind of a Chasing the rabbit rabbit kind of a topic here in the middle of all this, but I hope it relates. Uh, Years ago, November the 18th, 1997, again, I was called into Houston for, I I thought I was going for a drilling meeting, and I got to the office there, our office complex, and my boss caught me and said, no, I really didn't call you for that meeting, I need to talk to you. So for the next three hours, she had, uh, for the next several hours, I don't remember if it was three or not, she had three pages of notes. And those three pages of notes were critical of my performance, my work performance. Heartbreaking. Truly heartbreaking. I left the office in a very strange mindset, got on the plane, and that's when the Lord told me that these vice presidents had put this list together whether they intended to or not had done the kindest thing they knew to do. And I started letting that feedback that I got really create change. As a matter of fact, about the same time I read a book called Turning Feedback Into Change. And I finally, I told my boss, I said, I've spent years in leadership training about how to give feedback, I said, "I wish we had all that money back because that's not the key. If we want to train, if we want to train in a way that would make a difference, we would train and teach people how to receive feedback. Anybody can give it, but rarely are we in, in a place to receive it. We need to become better receivers." Of of feedback. And I was thinking about that in connection with this that happened on Friday. That we in the Christian world need to figure out how to make ourselves better at being asked. Now, you've got to get your mind running almost backwards to make this make sense. Why don't people come ask us? Why don't people come ask us for help? Why don't people come ask us for truth? Why don't people come ask us about salvation? It's because we have made ourselves difficult to ask. We say it all the time. I said in my office a lot. We train each other on how we want to be treated. If Jan says something to me and I snap at her, what's the likelihood that she's coming back to ask the next question? By my, by my behavior, I just trained her how I want to be treated. Leave me alone. How come the world around us has a hard time coming to ask us about anything or for anything? It's because we have learned to live closed-off lives almost with our hands up, our shield out, saying, please do not bother me. I don't have time. I don't have the energy. I don't have the answer. I don't have the money. Don't bother me. We in the Christian world are going to have to somehow discover how to make ourselves easy to be asked. Where do you think that would begin? Where does this begin? With compassion. If they see me as compassionate, they will come ask. But we have, by by by, by thousands of means made ourselves difficult for people who have needs to even ask us for help. Isn't that odd? It was an interesting thing, interesting question because I can tell you where it started. And this is, uh, I didn't say this to them. Uh, It might have been at New Year's. Around our house, at times, around birthday parties and things like that, I think I think Kate coined the phrase. She might not have, you might have heard it somewhere else, but we have fun we have funtivities, activities that are designed to be fun, and sometimes they are, and sometimes they're a little bit lacking. But we we try anyway. But uh, one of these, we we were. I think we were doing New Year's resolutions and, I, and my kids had, some, had a New Year's, resolu- New Year's resolution they wanted to give me. when they thought I needed. Can't even imagine. That might suggest why I needed them. Anyway, what they wanted me to do was, Dad, you've got to ask for help. you got to ask for help. I can't remember what I had just done. you got to ask for help. Okay, I get it. I'll ask for help. <laughs> the next thing that happened was Jay needed, Jane Carey needed a table that was down at Ryan's and one that I had built. So if I built it, it can double as a storm shelter. You know, if, if I'm going to build it, it's going to be heavy enough that you can dance on it and not worry about it falling. So I, I, I got that table, it's heavy, out of Ryan's storage building, put it in the back of my pickup, and this is the same day, I think, and I drove it down there and unloaded it and set it up. And they said, so much for asking for help. I was thinking about this the other day as I was mowing, and I said, well, if you wanna change that, then you've gotta make yourself easy to ask. Because if you're busy all the time, I'm not asking. And if I have a hard time getting a hold of you, I'm not not asking. If I send a text or I make a call and I can't get you, I'm not asking. You've got to make yourself easy to ask. As Christians, we've got to make ourselves easy to ask. How we carry ourselves, whether our doors are open or closed... You know, how we greet one another, how open we are toward one another, all it makes this announcement, if you can ask me anything. But unfortunately, we've missed the points of this. We're not concerned because I would be more open if I knew those who were struggling, if I knew those who were perishing were my charge, I would be much more ready to be, to be open to their need. I would make myself easy to ask if I knew that those perishing were my charge, my responsibility given to me by God. I've been equipped for them. I've been made ready for them by the, by the Holy Spirit he placed in me because I not only have received Holy Spirit, Spirit, new life, I've also been given the filling of the Spirit which made me ready. One qualified me for the Spirit. The other one by the giving of the Spirit made me ready for them. If I would just recognize that those perishing are my charge, I would make myself easy to ask. We hear so much advertising you know, about one thing or the other on, on TV, whether they're selling you know, cars or whatever. They're trying to portray this image of we're, we're real easy to ask. Come in, we're real easy. We're, we'll have, they're trying to create this image of you come here, we'll make it easy. What does, what's the church's message? You come here. We're going to make it as hard as we possibly can. You're going to have to fight your way in and f- to find a home and to find where you belong. The second reason is we're struggling with this and why we should call out to the Lord of the harvest. First is because we lack the compassion. The second is we believe so little about the power of prayer to create a definitive result or outcome. We pray in general. We rarely pray for a specific outcome. All that says is I don't believe much. I don't believe much. I don't have much faith in prayer. We had a, we had a need in the church uh, this past week. And I sent a note to Rhonda saying, who do you think could help us? And I I will say, unfortunately for myself, my mind starts running through, oh, they're busy, they're busy, they're busy, they're busy. It's like, it's like the list begins to get very narrow as to who we think we can even ask. Because because the life is that I'm not, I'm not, it's not easy for me to ask because I'm busy, this is going on. I'm, you know, there's, there's, one, there's one reason after the other. So it's unfortunate that even within, within the Christian world, we find it hard to ask each other. I'm notorious for this. I'm not good at asking for help. But we also have to take the responsibility that sometimes we don't make ourselves easy to ask. We believe very little about the power of prayer Again, especially to bring a very definitive result. One of the good things that happens in my life is that I have opportunities from time to time with people sitting in there where we're asking God for a very definitive outcome, a very definitive change in a second or in a moment, and we get to watch it come. I love that. I love getting to pray that way where I was like God I'm not distracted I'm there's not anything on my mind except this one thing I'm going to ask you this one thing and to watch him and know by faith he answered that question to just tell someone you know I deal with this, I deal with this question a lot in deliverance because people have tried so many things to, to be set free and it's like it didn't work it didn't work it didn't work And so when I offer them something here, I can tell there's this uncertainty of will it work. I don't want to do it because I'm afraid it's not going to work. And so I have to explain the odds to them, the likelihood of it not working. I want them to know the exact odds so that I'm not tricking them, I'm not deceiving them. I want them to know the the specific odds. Here they are. I'll go to Mr. Hensley. What would be the odds that if Alicia came to you as a little girl and had a sticker in her finger, what are the odds that you would leave it in there? Never. Never. So one in a thousand? Ten thousand. Ten thousand? A million? Ten million? None. Zero. Those are the odds. What are the odds that if you ask God to take something that's hurting you away from you, what are the odds that he's going to say No. You're not going to. It would never, I said, that's the certainty when I tell him, that's the certainty that I can tell you this will work. Because, because the odds are that, he, that you ask him by faith, he's gonna do it. Because he has no reason to leave that hurt in you. I can guarantee the answer to that request, that prayer. I can pray with specificity about something and know that he's going to answer. I love those moments. And I'll even tell them, watch for God's signature because he loves to sign these moments. He wants to put his signature so that you'll know that it was more than something I said, something more than you said. I want him to put his signature on it and i watch him faithfully do it. But we expect so little in prayer when we, when we stop in a restaurant, stop in a parking lot, stop somewhere and, and just begin to pray for somebody, we pray with such little expectation. And Jesus is saying, if it's born in compassion and we know that we have the responsibility, the privilege that God has put in our charge, those situations and those needs, I can pray with his authority because he wouldn't give me that responsibility, that charge if I didn't have it. If he hadn't provided the power by which I could minister, he wouldn't have given me charge over that flock and over those people and over those who are lost without a shepherd and struggling. He would not give them to me as as a privilege and a charge to me if he hadn't established me in it. Jesus was establishing these disciples in that ministry by the power of prayer. He's doing the same thing to you and I today. By the power of prayer he 's establishing us in that ministry that we too can pray, Lord, please send the laborers because the harvest is tremendous out there, and we 're not getting to them we 're not bringing in that harvest. If you ever get a chance, get a, get a copy of of, uh, of a book and uh, Andrea McAdams gave it to me. I can't even remember the name of it now, but it was written about, it's an allegory written about, uh, about the condition of the church. It's called uh, the castle and king and something else, I believe. But one of the things it talks about in there is that, you, can, you know, it, again, it's an allegory, but it says it very beautifully. You can tell when a youth program is in trouble when games begin to be the focus of the ministry. When games begin to be the substitute, you can tell that it's going in a, a strange, strange direction. Again, recognize here, where so much of, of seeking the Holy Spirit tells us what to pray, here he's removing that, because he does. He, he's not saying this is, this is a maybe. He's establishing the disciples in ministry by, by the same token he's establishing us, by prayer, in the ministry of a shepherd and the sheep. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.